0: such a powerful story, isn't it? You have to give it a minute just to let it sink. It's a pretty gutsy effort from D there and um, I-, I wish I could just roll on and tell my story as well um, of what God's done in my life but, um, you know, we haven't got all day. So what I want to do is, is pick up one more story for us this morning which is the story of a guy called Joseph. Um, some of you may know this story. Some of you may not. It's a massive story. It's huge. We could like it's one of the biggest stories in Genesis. Um, but I'm going to give you the uh, the revised synopsis version, um, and it begins with uh, this young guy as a boy. Um, I'm just going to, if we can get my slides up there, that'd be great. Um, so it starts with this this young guy as a boy. Now you may remember. Um, A few weeks ago, Troy talked about a guy called Jacob, and uh, Jacob had uh, all these sons. He had 12 sons, and it was a story where he had said to um, the father of a place, I'll work for you for seven years if you let me marry your daughter, Rachel. And so he works for seven years, and then the father sneaks in the other daughter, Leah, Do you remember that story the other week? And so then he goes back to the father and goes, yeah, but I I want the other one too. So he works for another seven years and eventually gets to marry Rachel. uh, And he has 12 sons. And eventually one of them is born to his beloved Rachel and he names the boy Joseph. So we've got this, there we go. So we've got this, we've got our boy Joseph and he's a beloved son And it says in Genesis, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So here's this young boy, Joseph, growing up. He's the apple of his father's eye. He's fantastic. He's got a beautiful robe that's been put together just for him, which technically probably means he doesn't have to work in the fields because you can't work in the fields with a great big robe on. He doesn't have to do, you know, all the usual jobs of all of the other brothers. So he's got a bit of a special consideration from his father and his brothers don't like it one bit. And there's a part of the story where he goes to his father and his brothers one day and says, you know, I had a dream the other night. I had a dream that there were all these um, sheaths of wheat and they all bowed down to me and I was the big, most golden sheath of wheat. Yeah, tip and not the best story to tell to your brothers. And then like another one, he says, oh, I had another dream where there was like all the stars in, you know, 12, 11 stars and there was the moon and the sun and I was like the bright shiniest star and all the others bowed down to my shiniest star. Again, not your best move, little bro. Um, they, weren't, they weren't loving him and they couldn't say a kind word to him. It, uh, it wasn't going really well for him. He was getting a bit big for his boots And he was known as the dreamer of the family. And then there was a day. His father sent him out to the field to catch up with his brothers. And when his brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. It's not going well for young Joseph. His brothers are planning, plotting and scheming to get rid of him because they can't stand him. They can't say a kind word to him. And so they plot to kill him. And then one of the brothers says, oh, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the cistern, into the big pit. And then a a caravan of traders come along, headed to Egypt. And the brothers are like, okay, let's just sell him because we'll probably make some profit as well because they're greedy to the core of their being. So when the Midianite traders came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Joseph has not got off on the right foot that day. He's not doing too well. He's gone from the favoured son in the beautiful robe to being chucked in a pit and sold as a slave and headed off to a foreign land. So... Um, he, he's in this foreign place and he's been sold as a slave and he ends up working for this family of Potiphar. So, Potiphar employs him as a slave and he's watching him. Is someone pushing this? Because I don't, I'm not wanting it to go forward yet. I'll push it. I'm good. <laughs> Is that code for get on with it? No. Okay. Um so he's, he's working as a slave in the family of Potiphar and everything he does goes brilliantly well for him. Everything he touches seems to go really well for him. And so he kind of gets elevated up in the ranks and eventually he's got the keys to Potiphar's house. He's running the show. All is starting to go well for him, but we've got to remember he's not at home. He's not with his father. He's not in his beloved robe. He's in a foreign place and he's still a slave. So it's not going great. But there is this one line that says he was quite good looking. And so Potiphar's wife takes a bit of a shine to him. And so she starts chasing him down and uh, offering him all sorts of possibilities. And at every point he keeps fleeing. He's like, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. In fact, it says that every time she comes at him, he flees. Uh, Except for there's this one moment because the story is not going well for our young Joseph. There's this one moment when she's offering him something again and he starts to flee and as he flees she grabs his robe he flees and she's got some evidence and she goes to her husband and she says that Hebrew slave boy that you brought in here let me tell you what he did (laughs) that Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me she said but when I screamed he ran outside leaving his cloak with me oh not fair not okay that's playing dirty Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her so he took Joseph and threw him in another pit in prison where the king's prisons were held and there he remained for a very long time he stayed there for a really, really long time. It's not going well for him. I wonder, I wonder if you've ever been in a pit. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a pit. I know I have. There have been times in my life when I have absolutely felt like I'm in the deepest pit and it is really, really tough. There are some pits in our lives that um, life throws at us and there are some pits in life that we, uh, we throw ourselves into. So some of those pits that life throws at us, loss, grief, pain, hurt, all of those kinds of things. Sorry, I've lost it. The dreams that we once had, gone and we're in a pit. Losing someone that we love, gone and we're in a pit trouble sickness hurt trauma whatever it might be and then there are those ones that we actually pave our own way into our own pit we've talked a lot about some of those shadow sides and when we don't address those shadow sides in our life we're actually wandering our own meandering our own way into our own pit Uh, we talked about King David a few weeks ago looking at the wrong girl on the wrong rooftop we talked about Peter in that crucial moment actually denying that he even knew Jesus. Just paving your own way into your own pit. And I wonder if that might be something that's happened for you. Now, so our Joseph, he spent time in two pits now and he's in the second one for a really, really long time. I wonder about the time that he was in the pit. I wonder about whether God challenged him. We're told throughout the scripture that God was right there with him. We're told that he's always with him. And I wonder whether he challenged Joseph about his shadow side. I wonder whether he challenged Joseph to deal with the anger that he hurt because he would have had some pretty fierce anger towards his brothers. They did the dirty on him and he would have had some big anger. I wonder if God did some healing work in the hurt that he had from wanting to be with his father where he was meant to be. I wonder if God comforted him in the darkest coldest parts of his lonely nights when he longed for his hand-stitched coat back where he belonged. The good thing about Joseph is he didn't get bitter he got better God actually did an amazing work in him and even in prison he actually worked his way up till he was virtually in charge of the other inmates in prison because he was diligent. He worked hard. He earned respect. He didn't wallow in his own misery. Maybe he might have sometimes, but God did some work in him. Um, He got on with the work of the day at hand um, and God was ever present with him, teaching him and growing him. Could it be possible that God was doing an amazing healing work within Joseph because he had a great plan of something that Joseph needed to do? So the story continues through a great chain of events and like I said it's a massive story but through a great chain of events Pharaoh the leader of Egypt has a dream which he's got no idea what it means and so he gets word that this Joseph guy knows all about dreams he's all across it he's all into it and so Joseph actually comes and interprets Pharaoh's dream and talks to him about how there's going to be years of plenty and years of famine and how he should store up to prepare for the years of famine And the amazing thing is, is Pharaoh actually puts him in charge of all of that work. He's his right-hand man. And it says, you will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Out of the pit and given something enormous to do. So famine comes. And the people are hungry and starving and who is it that gives the great order to open up the big storehouses that they filled with grain? It's our Joseph out of the pit. What an enormous task he's been given. He ends up making a huge difference. So my question is would he have been able to do that great work if he hadn't been given the keys to Potiphar's house? Would he have been able to do that great work if he hadn't have been so diligent in the work that he did in the prison? I don't know. Would he have been able to do that if he'd have not known his own sense of loss and need and hunger and for God to have worked in him? I don't know. What I do suspect is that in his time in the pits, God was doing a great, great mending work. My son Jack says... This is terrible, and I'm going to regret it. My son Jack says, "Girls dig guys with scars, Mum." He's got a scar on his head. He's hoping it really scars because girls dig guys with. I don't know whether that's inappropriate. I'm going to talk to him about that another time. Um, but wounds leave scars. Wounds do leave scars. Um, even with our modern technology of being able to do great microsurgery and all sorts of fantastic healing things, wounds still leave scars. They leave evidence of the wound that's been repaired. Um, and I want to talk for a minute about wounds and being having wounds repaired. We can't fully function with open wounds. We know that. Wounds need to be repaired, And God is in the business of healing wounds. God binds up the brokenhearted. There's a saying that says time heals all wounds. And look, time might help, but I'm not going to give that much credit to time. Time doesn't have that much clout. God can heal all wounds. God can heal all wounds. There's a, there's a book I've been reading. It's called Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. And it's got me to thinking, so I've got this, this is my favourite shirt, it's one of my favourite shirts and, uh, and this happened to it the other day, can you see that? I ripped my favourite shirt, it's not cool. So what I could do is I could go, well that's disappointing, throw it in the rag bag or I could go, oh but I love this shirt, I really do, I love wearing it, it's beautiful. And in this book I've been reading about the ancient art of Japanese mending So they would take clothes and they wouldn't just give it a rough stitch up so that it was functional. They'd look at it, they'd assess the fabric, they'd check out the pattern and they'd dream a dream over how to repair the tear or the wear that had happened to the garment. And they would intricately weave the repair job into the garment. These garments, centuries old now, are behind glass in museums because they are so intricate and beautiful. They're so intricate and beautiful. And so I've decided that while I read this book, I'm going to do a beautiful repair work on my favourite shirt. Don't ask me in months to come if I've done it. <laughs> but I'm going to give it a crack. I'm going, to, I'm going to see if I can't do a beautiful repair job on my shirt so that this shirt isn't just repaired, but it's actually got a beautiful feature. And so when I wear it, people will look at the back going, is the back of that shirt applique? That's so beautiful. So I'm going I'm to hand stitch this shirt back to life and I guarantee you it is going to be better than it ever was. It is going to be more beautiful than it ever was in its life as a plain old shirt. And that is what God will do with our wounds. He won't just give them a rough stitch up job and say, there you go, you'll be right. He doesn't just chuck a band-aid on them and say, you'll be fine. He actually does, a, if we let him, He does a beautiful repair job. He takes time and he stitches and he binds and he balms and he heals and he fixes and he repairs. I have a little story of something that happened to me recently. One of of my deep pits that I ended up in in my childhood caused me to take out of it a deep, deep hatred for pumpkin. A deep, deep deep, deep hatred. I hated it. It makes me sweat. I, I gag if I think about it. I can't eat it. It's just awful. And it's just one of those wounds that I've brought out of some, some difficult trauma of my childhood, which I won't go into the details about. And so I was having this conversation with someone a while ago and we were talking about the fact that I'm so healed you know, God has he's pulled me up out of the pit that I was in and he's given me so much healing and it's amazing. Except I still can't eat pumpkin. And what is that about? So I chatted to somebody and she talked to me about some steps that they, they use with food refusers. So people who need, who need to learn how to eat food. And so I started putting those steps in place all the while saying, well, God, if you've healed me, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to eat pumpkin. And so I bought some and I put it in the house threw it out and I bought some and I made some um, food for someone else and this is months I'm talking months and months and I I made some and I I cooked a veggie lasagna and I ate some of it but I picked the pumpkin out and then you know over the course of time the other probably two three weeks ago I went to Beck Yates's house to have a lovely catch up with Beck in the middle of the afternoon see how she's tracking with a new baby and she says I've cooked us some soup Actually, Mum cooked us some soup. It's Heather Prescott's pumpkin soup. And I, honestly, I kid you not, without a shadow of a doubt, it was delicious. And I ate it, and it was amazing. You know. And so, if God can, God can heal me of a hate of pumpkin. You know, what else might God heal? You know, that's just that's just the tiniest little snippet of the most recent thing that God's done in my life where he's just weaving and healing and fixing and balming and repairing. Anyway, let's wrap up the story about Joseph because the best part of the story is the great crescendo when he meets his brothers again. So the famine is hard. It's all really terrible. And Egypt's the place where the food is. So these brothers from out in Canaan get sent into Egypt to find some food. And Joseph sees them coming and recognises them. They've got the beards of the Hebrews and he recognises them. He's probably starting to place which brother they are. And he's like, man, these are my brothers. And what he does is he says, that's it, stop right now, kill them all, throw them in the pit, cut off their heads, they're dirty, rotten scoundrels. I hate them to the core of my being. I never want to see them again, get them out of my sight, blind me for the rest of the week because they've been in my imagination no that's not what he does but he would have been well within his rights to do that wouldn't he they threw him in a pit they sold him as a slave they ruined his life but he doesn't joseph said to his brothers after he toyed with them a bit because okay, so there's a whole bit more in the story he toyed with them like a cat with a mouse for a while but when he went to reveal himself joseph said to his brothers come close to me I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then he turns to his guys and says, Kill the fatted calf, we're having a feast. Bring these guys to my house. We're going to sit down at my place and we're going to have the best reunion we've ever had. It's going to be amazing. And he heaps the food onto all of their places, onto all of their plates and has a great meal and has a fantastic time with these brothers. He doesn't cut off their heads. He doesn't doesn't even say, you dirty rotten scoundrels, if only you knew. He doesn't even say, all those years I spent in the pit. He doesn't say any of that. He just embraces them. Psalm 40 is something very important to me. It's a psalm that's very important to me. I remember reading it. It says, I cried out to God. He lifted me out of the pit, out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. And he put my feet on a rock, a firm place to stand. I reckon that that was Joseph's story too. God lifted me out of the pit and he put my feet on a firm place to stand and that is Jesus. The firm place I stand is Jesus. And so I guess the call is will you recognize the times when you're in a pit and maybe you just need to do this. Just put your hands up because he wants to lift you out. Just put your hands up. I didn't claw my way out of the pit. Dee didn't claw her way out of the pit. God lifted us out. Joseph was lifted out, and some amazing healing work done in the lifting process. And that's. And so, when we let that healing, mending, repairing work be done, and that lifting out be done we'll actually respond entirely different. So when things of life come at us, like long lost brothers who did the dirty on us, we're actually able to operate from out of the pit, not from in the pit. We're able to respond in lightness, not in darkness. We're able to respond with healing, not open wounds. And that's the work that I think God's calling us to do today. As the band comes up, I just want us to think about this idea of letting God lift us out and repair our wounds. No matter what pit you've been thrown into or walked into, God is that big. He can lift you out. No matter how big, deep, wide and gaping, the wound you might have is God is capable of mending it and he'll mend it beautifully if you let him no matter what difficult relationship issue you face God can do the work in you so that you can be the person who's operating out of healing not hurt operating out of the solid rock firmly feet placed in Jesus not the pit, operating in the light, not in the darkness. When we end up in the pit, do we let God dig us out? Do we let him do the work on us? When life has wounded us, do we try and hide it, bury the issues? Or do we let God do the the work that might leave scars, but the work is good? God, lift me out, do the work in me, let me walk in the light. We started with the question, what if God wants to do something in me more than he wants to do something with me? What if when God does something in us, he is then able to use us in ways that we could never imagine, like he did with Joseph? like he is with Dee today, sharing her story, like he has with me. We're going to sing um, It Is Well, and Troy's going to come up in a minute. I love this song because I can actually sing it and mean it. It is well with my soul. I am okay. I am doing good. Dee is okay. Dee's studying nursing. She's got a beautiful family. She's living life. She's getting on with it. It's amazing. God pulled us out of the pit and it is well with my soul.